digital technologies and on-demand experiences are transforming all industries. In dentistry, we have gone digital inside the clinic. Now it's time to expand virtually beyond the clinic to impact and reach more patients than ever before. In this podcast, we discuss the mindset, tools, and strategies you can implement to grow your practice, work more flexibly, and offer your patients the best options digital dental care brings. I'm Dr. Alec Shukla, and welcome to Beyond the Clinic. So Sam, wonderful to join me and um, really looking forward to talking and learning more about your insights and experiences across the digital health landscape, because really you've been there since a, a long time and doing some really interesting things. So it'd be great to understand a bit more about where you started in it and, and, and where you kind of have seen things going. Look, it's great to catch up again. And uh, it, it's, it's nice to reflect on what's happened over the sort of last 10, 15 years also where things might go to. And certainly the last two years have probably given us all plenty to think about in terms of tech in general, health tech, and then digital health. And this sort of hybrid land of where consumers fit in as customers and as patients, where clinicians come into the mix, healthcare providers, regulators. Uh, and, and what does it mean for collaboration, whether it's within a country inter-country, globally. There are so many things to discuss. So yeah, really, really happy to chat today. No, absolutely. So why don't we start with like, you had different roles within the NHS with pushing digitization in the beginning, isn't it? Obviously, NHS is the largest healthcare organization that there is. So it'd be great to understand like how you got started in that and what what you saw then and what you kind of see now, basically. So useful to go back a bit further and I think for me the first time I sort of really got involved in health tech was installing the first version of EMIS a system used in GP practices in a GP practice I worked in the GP practice a very long time ago and uh, that was kind of one of my first jobs digitizing their records and putting them into this system that was my first sort of experience using something and it was an interesting time because that's just when Lots of people started getting PCs in their homes, printers in their homes. There was sort of a consumerization of technology. And, uh, and for me, these two worlds sort of collided quite nicely. I was sort of building computers and bits and pieces on the other side, learning how to use programs, software, uh, and put things together. And on the other side, seeing it in the real world in, in a healthcare organization Little did I know then that I'd probably end up working in, in healthcare and in health tech and in digital health. And, and so fast forward, I sort of went through a range of different roles, working for different organizations at different points, whether it was experience, whether it was sort of part-time work, thinking about my career in health, and um, managed to get involved in lots of little things like installation of first sort of primary care systems in dentistry and in medicine and, and those environments. And really getting to experience it firsthand of what was it like getting bits of paper, converting it, getting people to work using technology. At that stage, the sort of role of consumer was very small in relation to healthcare. Then I took a role in a different organization, went into retail technology and really understood and learned about what was happening in a completely different sector. And it was only sort of weeks before I was looking at technology in healthcare. And then a few weeks later, in an environment which was already relatively and reasonably digitized. They had computers. They weren't great, but certainly a lot better than in healthcare. Uh, they were able to speak to people, customers, and give them information about them. Again, not perfect, but a lot better than healthcare. 
And so very quickly, it sort of realized that the maturity of different systems and different sectors varied a lot. Uh, and what I took from that was ultimately, these are all sorts of doing the same thing. There's some information, some sort of data in some sort of structure, and somebody else wants that information, whether in the case of healthcare, it's a clinician or, or a receptionist or a patient, whether it's the case of retail, where it happens to be the owner of an entity, a business, a retailer themselves, a bank, and the customer. There wasn't that much different in the sort of fundamentals of, of how these environments work. Just what they were doing with that information was quite different. And then go further forward than that, I sort of went through my journey in healthcare and ended up eventually training dentistry, then in public health, came out the other side, worked in public health, but mainly focused on healthcare technology through a public health lens, uh, and then ended up working in various roles across the NHS, whether that was CCGs, NHS England, a bit of Health Education England, and some other bodies along the way. And uh, of course, more recently, I was in a role in NHS England, which became NHSX, in digital development. And along that way, I very much saw the change, the shift from the discussion being just about electronic health records, into health integration engines, the sharing of data for the purposes of commissioning and planning, moving towards one where it was useful for clinicians, and even further than that, where it became useful for patients, the citizen. And even the language is difficult for people. We, we talk about patients in healthcare, and of course they are. But they also happen to be consumers of healthcare, yeah. and they might be patients when they might be unwell or ill. And the rest of the time, they might be consumers of information, health information, information about themselves. But they may not be unwell at that point in time. They may be customers or consumers. And, and at the end of the day, they're also citizens. So this is another kind of divergence in the language that might be used outside of healthcare and the language that's used in healthcare. What we see right now with this world of digital health is we've got consumer-facing products, apps, wearables, devices, that are very much mainstream now. On the other side, we have healthcare technology that's being used by clinicians in an EHR, an EPR, so electronic health record, electronic patient record, electronic prescribing system, all of these things, the language of clinicians, healthcare technologies, uh, provider organization. And at some point, these two worlds collide. That's where there's a really interesting space right now because we're seeing that collision right now and we're seeing the, an ecosystem of ecosystem. We've got an ecosystem of patients and their technology, citizens. We've got an ecosystem which clinicians operate and the ecosystem which providers of healthcare exist within a bigger ecosystem. All of these things are now overlapping more so than they've ever done before. No, and, and I think you, you really summed that up really, really nicely. And like I said, it's that collision that's kind of happening now. and and it's say like consumers or patients and citizens, they've always been more digitally advanced than let's say the primary care providers or the kind of like hospitals, the organizations, because they are tied down in like the kind of infrastructure they already have to build and support. So what kind of things are you seeing from patients that like maybe different conditions that you wouldn't have thought that they would be accessing care for or different things that trends you're seeing in the way that the variety of people seeking care these days, like from their own their own research. Two things there, and you raise a really important point about the, the infrastructure, the history, the archaeology <laughs> of health systems almost means that they're entrenched in ways of working. So the behaviors and the way in which you might work in the physical world 
carries themselves into the first instance in the digital world and in organizations. I'll give you a classic example. You or I might refer a, a patient to each other or somewhere else. We classically used to do that by writing those really long, boring letters to each other. And then we started sort of sending them by fax, maybe. Then we eventually might have emailed the paper version as a document of that letter. Then we might have gone to a form. And as at today's world, we're pretty much a version of that letter in a form, but it hasn't changed very much. It's all the same content, but in a form. Now, that's in the sort of, the, but that hasn't really changed. That's kind of been the same information flowing back and forth and the same relationship of secondary care provider or the specialist rejecting or accepting something and the primary care provider sending it. There's an agency relationship there, stays the same. On the other side, we've got consumers, patients, citizens. That world of this sort of, I go to somebody, they decide as the gatekeeper, do I go to the other place or not? That world is going rapidly, moving quickly, but the health system hasn't caught up with that. It's still living in the way in which it operated back in the 1800s. And that model from the 1890s is still the model we sort of operate in as at today in most parts of the Western world. Then we've got the other side of the citizen. Well, they're used to going on their phone, on their device, buying anything they want, when they want, picking up the phone, going, walking down the road, walking into an organization. And what we're seeing is that world where people are used to self-service, making decisions for themselves, wanting more information, having their world in their hand, coming into healthcare. So some of the things I'm now beginning to see emerge, for example, might be a different type of online consulting. Not this transactional thing where I go and see a primary care provider, then I see a secondary care provider and all of this. Actually, now the consumer beginning to access specialist services more directly, they can go through a form of online assessment and get to that service much more rapidly than they would have ever done before. Slightly taboo area, or not so taboo, but a slightly difficult area is diagnostic. Yeah. Once upon a time, the channel was, okay, you go and see somebody in primary care, you say there's something wrong with you, and then you get a diagnostic. Well, the diagnostic on its own is not just a diagnostic. Sometimes it's also a screening tool. Now, of course, there's controversy. Should people be allowed to screen for themselves? Should they not be allowed to screen for themselves? Should that be gatekept by the primary care provider? But I put the converse to you. Primary care system in most parts of the world can't meet the demand of the citizens out there. There isn't enough of it. Our model has to change. We have to allow people to consult in a different way. Well, we're now seeing diagnostics as screening tools move into the hands of patients. And there's some great things out there. There are some tests that have evolved, been inspired by the COVID situation. And we're seeing more salivary-based tests that people can take themselves to look at their lipid profile, for example. We're seeing lots and lots of fingerprint blood tests out there. Now, there are some people that don't agree with them, and I respect their reasons for not agreeing with those. There are many people, though, who can't access their, their GP or somebody else in the yeah. system Doing those is a helpful way of them accessing the results. Now we're seeing the evolution of that. Now, clearly, there's been a lot of controversy from what's happened in parts of the US, certain blood testing providers uh, that have made a, a sort of global name for not necessarily doing it in the right way. But what they did trigger was a movement. And what we're now seeing is some next generation devices where people can get a rapid test done themselves. And they can do that themselves. And even it's possible that very soon that'll be uh, reviewed viewable through a mobile device that will allow some basic to be undertaken in the comfort of someone's own home through a smart device. That's some of the areas we've seen. We've seen some new interesting areas come up too. I saw some tech last week in Israel 
where it's possible for somebody to assess the degree of someone's mental health state from a smart device. Now, this wasn't possible before. It wasn't possible to differentiate from levels of anxiety, levels of depression, types of mental health condition. Now, this, this uh, tech is still in its early stages, but it looked promising. Definitely demonstrated that it's possible to undertake a more structured assessment using tools that we already have without necessarily accessing a clinician. And then we're also seeing this hybrid world where people can walk in uh, to a service and actually have a bit of consultation, a little bit of diagnostic, and other information about themselves where they're much more in control of that, whether it's booths popping up in shopping malls around the world in some jurisdictions, that works well. Whether it's going in to a pharmacy and having an interaction similar to some of the work that you're doing, whether it happens to be that the clinician can come into someone's home because they've booked that appointment, that consultation through a device, and they end up uh, coming in person. Seeing this gradual evolution of technology and the blend of it. Some really interesting things, though, that I've seen more recently are the change in devices. The devices become much smaller. Or sleep device the other day. This is really interesting because this sleep device basically doesn't operate like our phone or a watch in the same way, but it allows somebody to wear this ring. It looks like a fidget device. That's the like an aura ring or different. Or a, like little, a little bit like that, actually, but not quite. It's kind of got a weight to it, and it's got a okay. lot of science behind it. Basically, what it does is it helps both understand how somebody's sleep pattern works, uh, which, of course, is linked to their various hormone levels, but also the concept of it, the way it operates, almost gives someone a focus point in order to help them yeah. sleep, which is really interesting, but it's linked to technology. So we're really seeing a blend of the physical world again and the virtual world. And this, for me, is absolutely fascinating. No, and I completely agree. And I think that like that, that mesh of like the, the, the digital health experiences and, and, the, and the pop-up booths or the, the physical world and accessing it through traditional places like pharmacy, I think ultimately what it all comes down to is behavior change, right? At the end of the day, you can talk about the healthcare system or whatever. And there are obviously some conditions which require, you know, intervention for sure. But the vast majority of things are preventable and caused by our own lifestyle, right? So the whole point is, if we can get a data point in a very simple, non-invasive, unintrusive way at home, that we can then shift our behavior. I'll give you a real example. So I've had this ring for like about a month now, okay? Maybe two months probably. And my sleep has definitely improved because I'm actually looking at my sleep score in the morning and different things. And I've actually got like a glucose monitor as well. Like I don't have diabetes or anything, but I've just been looking at it and I've been quite, I was quite shocked in the first two weeks about how, how little I actually need to eat basically because my glucose is fine, you know, and, and you see that, okay, you avoid these things and you spike it and then you, you, and it's just the, the ability to kind of see those things and then shift your behavior based off that, which can only reduce the need of healthcare burdens and all those sorts of things. I mean, that's ultimately where we're trying to get to really, isn't it, right? Like, uh... Maybe. And, you know, I think that's a great example that you've used there because that metrics, that data that you have, that I have, that lots of people have, allow us to make different choices. They yeah. allow us to make different decisions. Now, we might not follow the, the, the recommendation, the advice, those things, but that's a choice we make. That's an active choice that you make. Right now, we'll make passive choices. We don't really think about necessarily what we're all doing out there. We might go to lunch, we might go to dinner, we might take a run, we might not. But these aren't things we necessarily do actively thinking about metrics. Now, I accept we shouldn't all live our lives completely like no, we think. But the consequences and stuff like, yeah. And, and, and health inequality is really interesting because 
we think about the world of health inequalities and wider social determinants, many of those things that influence health, health care, health outcome aren't free choices. They happen because of disposable income. They happen because of education, uh, employment, crime, uh, sanitation, all of those other things. And so there is a role for governments and other actors to solve some of those things. But assuming we deal with those, those issues, some of those issues, it shouldn't mean that we don't make provisions for those people where they can make choices. So yes, of course, there are lots of people that can't make choices and we need to do lots more, allow them and help them and facilitate making choices. But at the same time, there's a lot of people that can make choices. And if we can help nudge them to make different choices through data, through devices, through access to different routes, that may help take the burden of the rest of the system. Now, this is a controversial issue because on the one side, we've got uh, individuals out there in the healthcare ecosystem that strongly and for good reasons believe that healthcare should be free in its entirety. Maybe it should, but we're in a system globally where that is just no longer possible right now because the demands on health system outstrip the resource that can go in in any health system around the world. I do agree with you. I think it's incumbent on all of us to use what we can to make our lives better, to avoid the sequelae that might result in the need to use a healthcare system. Most of our healthcare systems around the world are majority curative over preventative. The vast majority of expenditure in healthcare goes into the treatment of, of conditions they present. If we can do something to shift the dial and to maybe even help promote prevention, that's a good thing. And I think that's where there's a big role for. Self-screening, self diagnostic, yeah. monitoring devices, uh, and using that data. Yeah, absolutely. Because ultimately, everyone talks about prevention, but prevention can't be delivered in really a primary care facility because that's focused on intervention because it's just not cost-effective to kind of do those things. So that's where shifting digital screening tools to the patient through workplaces, through corporate health, through different things like this becomes much, much more accessible. Now that pretty much everyone's got a mobile phone and that like there are so many different um, digital health providers which enable different types of screening. What's your view on how, say, let's say the workplace is going to evolve, like in terms of like what kind of digital screening might be provided through different workplaces or how that might evolve in, in, in that regard? Well, uh, you, you also raised another really important point there about um, digital penetration. Now, of course, at the moment, uh, the digital penetration is uh, is variable. In some parts of the world, digital penetration is higher and other parts of the world, it's lower. So for example, in the UK, digital penetration is about 94%. So that means a lot of people have smart devices access to the web, but they're of course a whole contingent that don't. Sure. How they might use those devices for their personal life and sort of messaging might be very different to how they might use those devices for a health context. So we certainly, alongside thinking about this, need to think about there will always be a group of people for which there'll be an inequality that we need to think about how we help them access yes. either physical channels or access things in a different way or provide support to help over-index on their access if, if we need to. But on the other side, there is the workplace. And for those people in the workplace, I think employers are recognised they need to do more to hold on to their staff. And that means improving their wellness, helping them stay fit and able at work. And, and that, I think, goes, you know, there's the screening tools and devices we will have available. As well as that, there are other things, too. For example, it might be down to even the nutrition that workplaces make available. And once upon a time, it was unheard of that workplaces might happen to, to pay for substance and nutrition and food for people in the workplace. 
But now I think it's recognized as a uh, overall sort of menu of different things. I, and I say menu because, you know, there might be, it might be things like exercise and fitness facilities in or attached to the workplace. It might be the type of food people are given in order to help them keep them fit, healthy and able and the type of devices they're given and what they're given on those devices. And we're seeing some great progress from employers. Some employers are trying to put in um, apps and other applications that help people to network in the workplace. Others that are coming up with forums where people can discuss everything from meal plans and diet through to how they might meet up and undertake sporting activities, for example. These kind of softer things bring the workplace together. The next iteration of that, though, we are seeing workplaces give their employees tools, such as those that will help them sleep, those that will help them relax, things yeah. that might help with their mindfulness. We're also seeing another version of that where people are giving health interventions, whether it's access to GP advice, screening, and, and things such as those. Now, the screening one is fascinating. Fascinating for me because we're seeing some employers now give people access to a range of tests. Some in the workplace, some where they can order them through a device, some where it's a blend, where it's a device that they might use and it's read through their mobile application or another thing. We're seeing this happen. Now, the data at the moment stays at the individual in most cases. I'm not really seeing employers ask or seek the data, not in the UK. In other parts of the world, maybe towards the east, that might, might happen. Certainly in the UK, we're not seeing employers intrude on this seek data. But we are seeing, though, people being more engaged in their healthcare, maybe tracking their metrics having a discussion about them, having a positive discussion. I accept, not for everyone. And there'll be some people who are further along, some people further away. We're seeing this movement where the workplace is taking more responsibility, recognizing that this is one way of retaining staff, yeah. improving the culture. No, and helping keep people healthy and productive at the end of the day, isn't it? So I think that's, so we've, we've covered like the landscape. We've kind of covered like this kind of mesh of like the digital and physical words. Well, let's kind of look at dental care, right? So, I mean, your background is in dentistry, right? Like, obviously, you looked at public health through the technology landscape, but like, how do you see dentistry compared to that? Because when you look at most digital health stacks, you've got mental health, you've got dermatology, you've got, you know, GP, dental is never there, right? You know, yet at the same time, most conditions are visually or volumetrically detected. So what's your perspective on, say, digital access and how hybrid practice might, might evolve? Oh, dentistry is fascinating for so many reasons. And uh, I'm still lucky enough to be involved in dentistry. And it's so interesting because on the one side, it's so transactional. You know, it's something that patients come into, they physically come into a space. There, there's a certain look and feel about all practices around the world uh, and uh, a certain sort of culture in practices, good or bad. Then you've got the rest of the digital world, the digital rest of the healthcare world, and a few problems. First is the recognition of dentistry and oral health in healthcare. I think we've got to the point where sometimes it's almost been seen as separate to, separate to everything else. It's almost been seen as someone else's problem somewhere else over there. As we've kind of split the way we train undergraduates, whereas once we used to train doctors and dentists together, and now we almost separate them out completely, not really getting that cross-learning that used to happen and a mutual recognition of different professional responsibilities and capability. And now we're seeing this divergence. And with that divergence, I think the patient suffers. They, the patients suffer for a number of reasons. First is, in a traditional dental setting, visibility and access to healthcare data, certainly in the UK, is poor to non-existent. In other parts of Europe, it's different. 
certainly know from the visits I've made to other parts of, of Europe, some places, patients own their data. So whether they see a doctor, dentist somewhere else, they can share their data as they need to. In the UK, that doesn't exist. So that's the first area of digitization that I think needs addressing, and it's missing. But there's an interesting sort of converse to that, because dental practices equally often have lots of technology and always have done radiography equipment, computer tomography equipment, scanners for the latest sort of smile design or something. And on the other side, where it comes to something that is income generating, practices often have lots of technology, but that's the key. It's income generating. It makes them viable. It allows them to offer a service to patients as consumers. But where state dentistry is concerned, this is non-existent. It's non-funded. There isn't any technology innovational funding that's going into the dental sector. Still pretty much the same model that existed in 1948 exists as at today. Yes, the, the currency might have changed. The names might have changed. But it's pretty much the same sort of approach that took place then that takes place now in state dentistry. But there's other things. Consumers are used to going in and booking an appointment online pretty much anywhere. You can yeah. do that with the GP these days. Even hospitals are moving towards it. But dentistry, non-existent, very difficult. Book an online appointment in a dental setting, even where it is. It's a very clunky set of workarounds. Right? It's not a true online booking. It sort of goes and has to be confirmed. It doesn't actually go into an appointment book, really. It's somebody sitting there behind the screen, clicking on buttons and doing it. You know, it's it's very, very disjointed. I'd say a bit 1980s in, in its approach. And then we've got the consumer themselves. These are all things being done to, going into a practice, booking an appointment. What if we changed this? What if we shifted things into the hands of the consumer? That's where I think things get interesting dentistry in the future. What if there was a way that we could equip patients with devices that can actually detect the state of their oral disease and detect some caries and decay and detect levels of periodontal disease? Now, accept that there is some technique that is involved in these things. It's important. But at the same time, technology is advancing and it's advancing other areas of healthcare. There must be something that we can learn from other parts of healthcare that can be applied in the dental setting. Because ultimately, if I, if I you, anyone else can visually detect decay or spot it from an image, well, an image is the same sort of thing that we might use and assess using data and machine learning that comes out of an image? Well, is there a way that we can use the power of the lenses we have in our hands, take an image now that might at least give a risk score of some kind? It may not yeah. examine someone, but it's a form of basic screening and it could be very cost effective. What about the same that we could do for other things? Well, if there was a way that we could assess, for example, the, the risk of uh, oral cancer, for example. Now, I totally accept that this requires more than just uh, using a mobile phone camera. Totally, of course it does. But it might be there are risk factors that get identified that we can't otherwise even spot with our, with our eyes. So that's another possibility. And then there's moving on from that, from the sort of identifying of illness, but actually behaviors and habits. Yeah. This is where I think digital health comes into its own. We see the use of apps to nudge behavior in other parts of people's lives. The problem with dentistry is, it's not really that fun getting someone to brush their teeth or floss or do something like that. Everyone probably struggles with this in their lives. It's not really intuitive to connect a device to an area where there might be water splashing around or things like that. Is there another way that we can make behavior change interesting? Can we integrate this into other lifestyle uh, approaches and other types of behavior? Well, I think we could. And, they, and if we can 
tokenize it in some way. And if we can add a value to it and people can benefit from the action they take because they see the, the reward, the benefit from later on, well, that might drive a form of prevention. And it might drive a form of behavior change. But I do think that unless we can make something practically easy to use, we can attach it to someone's own emotions, then that sort of usurps the clinical issues that people might reflect on it when we're thinking about what happens in a physical setting that people go into. Because the cheapest form of prevention we can deliver is in someone's own hands. And, and we could do that with power devices. And it might be in the future that we're not thinking about the dental workforce being the point of interaction, but the wider healthcare workforce. And we've already seen bits of this with the pharmacy, but there's probably much more we can do if someone's undertaken part of their own assessment or screening process. They've worked out that they don't have disease that needs a dentist to intervene right now, but they need to do something. It might be they take that and they go into a pharmacy or a supermarket or somewhere else and buy some products that might help them to counterbalance the disease that they're facing or could face in the future, prompted and supported by some sort of application that helps them, helps for them promote when they might brush more, when they might use a mouth rinse, when they might need to apply a certain type of medicated toothpaste. No, and I agree with that completely. And I think the key there is that if there's that ongoing tracking of like photos, videos, which the patient's got control over and they can see how things are changing. And at the same time, you know, they can be like enhanced with like, you know, little cameras or different things like this. And then the dentist can also keep an eye and say, look, now this area is looking different. You need to come in and we schedule an appointment and take care of these three teeth. The patient buying is going to be much greater because they've been there for that longevity of life cycle basically it's not just been like transaction like you say many more dentistry is like i've got a problem can i fix it okay i'll see you in two years basically right you know like uh, and it's shifting that and I, and I think one of the key things is that it's unique in dentistry is there's a lot of cosmetics and aesthetics and wellness and you know like the, the most popular toothpaste or whitening toothpaste right and there's always a joke that patient comes in with gum disease and asks how much is whitening basically right you know because people want to have that nicer smile so the thing is if there's a way to kind of leverage and give people something that they want in an affordable accessible way which then motivates them to actually brush and clean for it more and and look after it then i i think that's how you can kind of like weave together more interesting prevention than just brushing advice or something like that, right? It could just be about maintaining that a better smile, essentially, which is what people are really bothered about, really. Totally. And it's that emotional piece. It has to be linked to something that's emotionally important to the patient. If it's just about what we think is clinically important, people switch off to that. It has to be emotionally practically important. It has to make their life easy and simple and friction-free. It has to be meaningful to them. It means it makes them feel better. It makes them it's not just about you ask me to brush. Actually, this is going to help me have a brighter smile. I'm going to feel more confident in myself. And, and those things, I think, alongside the preventative advice, be put together. They can't be separate. We have to recognize people live their lives in their whole. And so when we have a traditional approach to uh, dental public health, which is very much about sort of finger wagging and telling people they must do certain things, I don't think that works. In today's world, People are less likely to take that. We have to work out things that work for them in their lives, that mean something to them, that works in a way that it works for them. And that's where I think you're quite right. Like the aesthetics, the cosmetics, the even just generally the wellness aspect of things, what people engage with. Well, if we bring that piece of that in, might be more likely to do the health changing behavior as part of everything you're doing because they're motivated. No, absolutely. And, and listen, that was a, a wonderful, wonderful summary of, of our discussion and everything like this. So, Sam, if people wanted to engage with you, learn more, where could they do that? 
I'm 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 an open book, so they can they can uh, connect with me on Twitter and message me. They can contact me via LinkedIn. Uh, they can email me. My email address is pretty much online as well at sam at healthyopinion.co.uk. Uh, so they're very welcome to. Always happy to have a discussion. We're doing lots of things across digital health, whether it's uh, events, whether it's the work that's doing something organisation they work with. So people are very uh, very free to get in touch. Brilliant, Sam. Thanks for your time. Thank you. No, thank you very much. That's super interesting. What's your kind of like focus at the moment? Like, because uh, you, you do, so, do you still practice? You do. Yeah, so a little bit of practice. Sort of a bit of urgent care in my practices. So we have seven practices. So I still do a little bit every now and again. So I do my hospital session at Wolverhampton, but I mainly focus on digital health for them. So my consultant session is pretty much now just digital health. So I advise purely on di- digital health and nothing else uh, for them at Wolverhampton. So everything relating to whether it's inpatients, outpatients, strategy, working with their ICS. So that's interesting. So I don't ever go up there, but work for the CEO. So that's good. Practices, kind of do about half a session, about half to one session every two weeks. So uh, urgent care only, because I don't want to do all the, all the complex stuff. I, that's, I can't do anymore. Uh, I, I'm not capable of doing it anymore. And, uh, and the rest of the time is mixed. I do the men's health stuff. So Newman getting all their propositions up and running. Uh, so that's really good fun, purely private. I work for Freud's comms PR marketing stuff. So that's great. It spans tech and health and health tech. And then I do bits of advisory stuff here, there and everywhere. And um, academia. So UCL Global Business School, uh, UCLan and Ulster are my three academic organizations. I saw the Ulster one, like the digital health stuff as well, isn't it? So Yeah, so Ulster I do basically computer science and the med school focusing on digital health. UCLan I teach on the MSc on digital health. And and yeah, we've just set up the Global Business School for Health. So I cover entrepreneurship, med tech, and some other random stuff. Yeah, and we get a lot, you know, that's, that's really good fun. That, that's, that's great stuff. And then, yeah, bits and pieces. Like I still chair HET, so kind of, you know, chair the conference thing for them, sit on a bunch of advisory boards. And then, um, oh, and I'm doing my law master's now. So I'm doing my master's in law, which I haven't done for a while, and uh, my LPC just for fun. So um, kind of that's going on. So yeah, just completely like, all over the place, but just fun, portfolio. No, but it, but it, it they, they all like link and, and it keeps it interesting because you still have exposure to all, all the different areas, basically, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. How about you? How things going for you? Yeah, no, everything's going good. Like, so our, our whole kind of vision at the moment is like how to push digital access to dental care for everyone, really. And so what kind of we're working on is two models. So one is we have introduced to dental practices a hybrid aligner solution because I think with clinics, it's easy to kind of start with things that they already know and use technology to make things more affordable and at the same time introduce them to kind of like digital health stuff, which they wouldn't use otherwise. So virtual, so that's for clinics where basically the patient comes in three times. It's like aligners. So then they would go to the clinic versus going to a D2C company, for example. That's going with with that part. And, and that's like communicating more about hybrid practice and stuff to a dentist. But the point there is that like there's other elements that we want to then turn on within the practices about like offering, you know, at-home screening, you know, the, the inactive patients can have digital assessments and introducing the dental scope as part of it because each of the patients that gets the virtuous aligners gets that as part of it. And then the other part of it is I'm working on how to get essentially access to a digital dentist through our instant dentist platform into 
healthcare like stacks. So for example, where there's already GP, mental health, things like that, and 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 kind of have it there. And and in parallel, there's a conversation with you know some large FMCG companies because I really want to kind of integrate essentially digital screening for everyone, right? And then you've got this layer. Patients go access their own data, and then they can then access clinics for what they kind of want to. So it's trying to build this mesh, basically. If that if that kind of makes sense, basically, like completely. Uh, and you know, the, for for that, if you can get the assessment model right, to sort of risk assess the patients that fall into that that screening bit, that there'll be a cohort for which it'll work really well, where they will get screened virtually, and they will dip into clinics as they need to because their risk profile means actually that works for them. Yeah. And I do think we, we are going to have to move in that direction. People live their lives to every other part now through the sort of digital lens. And uh, I, th- I think that's right. Like if it becomes just part of everything they do when it's contacting their GP or hospital, it's in that's, that element of their world. I think it's more likely to fly. I think it's going to work than if it's just this separate thing over there somewhere. And, and I would actually say there are probably people that are more likely to engage in their oral health because they see it as part of everything else. Yeah, and I think that's the key thing is that linking it as part of like your, you know, your health screen annually or whatever like that is just is just part of that kind of stack. So like, do you work with a few different companies that like do like, I don't know, digital health for companies or like employment and things like yeah. that? So Health Hero that I work for uh is the biggest supplier to the um employer insurance market so employers that have health insurance most of those companies are served by health hero is the is the gp health any health service uh do some work with teledoc that is the second biggest as with health hero's competitor that they they have the rest they have the the next sort of stake in the market they do some stuff with them um, I work with some smaller organizations that are kind of breaking into the space and they do some different things with employers, which is less telehealth focused, but still digital health. Yeah, it's a mixture of them. I mean, healthcare is probably the biggest in terms of what it offers. Yeah. Uh, and then work with a couple of insurers that sort of do bits and pieces. But yeah, health healthcare is probably by far the biggest. And, and like the thing is, I was looking at like, why, like how, what's the value proposition for their like, like health stack like why would they bother about putting dental in there for example right like because the way i kind of see it is that like it would enhance the kind of like the the, the totalness of their stack but at the same time also there's the potential for you know revenue share on like additional procedures or preventive things which the the patient may may access in in a kind of different way but i've been kind of like trying to formulate what's the best way of like i mean ultimately for a company like health hero for example the insurers are paying for them if the insurer pays for it they'll do it that's pretty much it like it's fairly, it's fairly, yeah. If the insurer says we want to do it and pay for it, they'll do it. Teladoc similarly, insurers that pay them say we're going to, we want this, they'll do it. If you can convince some insurers say we want to put this in the mix, they will pretty much pay for it. Now the, the benefits of the insurers are is where they are paying for people to end up having dental procedures, and they are. Yeah. I mean, you know, they they do those that are insured. Then the benefit will be that hopefully they'll reduce that. That element of their outgoing cost. Um, now, for insurers, it's a tricky one because the other random thing is for insurers is that when people use more healthcare, they can put their premiums up for a year. So it's it is a double-edged sword for them. But I think some of them recognise that in order to retain customers, they need to be price competitive, which means they will reduce cost. And if they reduce cost, they need to put in some preventive measures in place. So it's the insurers. If you can get the insurers on board, certainly for the UK. Then it's likely they'll be like, okay, fine, and they'll say to whoever they're contracting with, build it in. So sorts of companies that you'd want: Health Hero, Teladoc, Doctor Care Anywhere. 
you know, you want to work with all of those because they're the ones that pretty much serve the whole of the insurance. That's the whole point, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And they've got the patients that are already digitally enabled. Like, because we work with Booper and like they already yeah. built our incidental proposition into their dental insurance, right? So some of their members can claim it. But the thing is, it's like claimable as a benefit, which is great. But the thing is, what I'm looking at is like more like how can it be part of your kind of annual journey, basically, right? Like, so everybody does it in that way as a kind of like way of like risk screening and kind of assessing in, in, in that regard. You know, like the health shield, for example, which is similar to like Booper as a plan, you could say to them, okay, put it in and they'll put it in. But unless like you take the friction out for the person, and almost make it easily available like they would with healthcare or whatever. I think people you won't get the uptake. Yeah. No, I I, I get I get it. And I think I think like as I say, for me, it's just like how to four years from now, this is totally like people are screening at home, you know, like uh, and at the same time, most clinics would do like digital review appointments and different things like this, but it's just like it's it's transitioning in that divide. And you're at that junction. I remember when healthy IO was at this junction a long time ago when Jonathan first started doing the home. Uh, urine testing right and like they were at this point back in 2015 skin vision obviously with you know in that kind of space like everyone's kind of been there at some point like thriver medichecks all of them right we've all been there at some point where this was the turning point you're at that turning point so we're about working out okay what are the different models and one is going to be consumer self-pay well dentistry their value for it is low so therefore consumers are unlikely to pay for it themselves like there will be a few but not the majority that's going to be the small end of the market there's the state, no. give up before starting. I, I, not it's like waste of time. And then I think there's who's going to pay for it. And I think it's most likely to be the insurers will pay for it, but you'll build it into the workflow with their any health provider. That so becomes kind of part of the experience that people have when they when they go through that. They almost it becomes part of that experience. No, that makes sense. So then there's like part of like registering for doctor care anywhere or whatever it is like this. Or yeah, I think there's that group. But then, yeah, I think that there's also the potentially for clinics because they would actually want to get new patients, isn't it, right? So it's- I think clinics where they have a subscriber plan. So if the, if you've got like Den plan or whatever all those things are called, right, then I think it makes sense because it's part of your retention of those people. You're offering them some value and they're getting some value from this basically, right? So they feel like they're getting some tangible value. So they're more likely to spend on the plan. You're trying a bit more, all of it. So I think that works well. I think if it is just a clinic. No, not individual, but it would have to be like some like large group or something like a, with, with like a large footprint or, you know, like a thing. Like a, I think, a, you know, a my dentist, uh, those kind of big groups, right? I think is probably where your where your spot is because they've got the, the infrastructure to both say, right, we're going to just give this to everyone because we can see the value in this and help us retain patients. The small practices, I think it's hard because they're already so tight right now. You know, I, if I think about our situation today, like we've just realized that we're going to basically get massive clawback because we haven't hit any of our targets. Oh, wow. It's life now. We've, we've got no choice with it. Like I can see it's because we're so NHS focused, it's difficult. But I think for big groups, they've got a lot more private activity. I definitely think like they, this for them is a value add. It's, an, it's something they can give to people. That means they're more likely to retain those patients. And then those patients hopefully will have a higher spend with them in due course. No, no, I I. I, I... Totally, totally get that. And I think, I think, yeah, it's just, it's just like having 
it's convincing what the, of the value and that people will would want it and then kind of like looking how how they would kind of like access it through those what things about some of the key funds that invest in some of these groups because they might if you can effectively bring one or two of them on board as an investor at some point this they're is, much more likely to be like okay I'll, i want you to go into our group and do this this is our kind of strategy basically right so that, that's the way i kind of I saw it is like if we can kind of by, by establishing connections through like pharmacies were already in some of the pharmacies but then the, i'm more bothered about employment plans because that's you access to a lot of people and then at the same time putting their hybrid model, model into more clinics then it means that they're showing that the, the, the dentists are used to that workflow and, and at the same time also generating revenue without much chair time then our kind of macro cases are basically you can then sell that to a private equity or kind of like transfer it in in, in that regard because because we've got people doing consults all over the country for our d2c platform and, and what we've been doing is like so many people want clinic care so we're referring those people to clinics and stuff like this but like i say for me it's just like how to kind of like if I can get into some workplace benefits in a, in a better way, I really think that could kind of like be a tipping point because then it becomes like actually now there is an existing pathway where you've got this essentially digital layer of, of access. And then it becomes interesting for clinics and stuff like that. Well, worth looking at places like HealthShield because obviously they do a lot of the benefit stuff for a lot of employers. You know, they've got dental in there. That's an easy way to get it into lots of employers quickly. No, healthy. I'll look at that one. No, listen, Sam, it was wonderful catching up. And and um, no, I know you're super busy, but like if you're ever interested in some consulting or advisory, like it'd be definitely appreciated because like what I'm trying to do is like how we can kind of like sort of close that loop, put put that dental kind of like back into it. And I can see like, with, for example, I've been talking with Colgate and Unilever, we've got good relationships with those, but both those, they're very interested in like how they can kind of get into that whole stack. And, and, and the way I kind of see it is like, you should be able to access these through toothpaste packaging, whatever it is like this. And then you've got, everyone's got access to screening essentially, which then makes it quite interesting from an inequality perspective. And then it also act, activates more people for visiting a dentist when needed. And stuff. You may have already done it, but worth having a discussion with Allion, which is the new consumer arm of GSK. GSK have split everything up. The consumer arm, very good and w- worth a dialogue with them. There's some great people over there. Um, and obviously you're talking to, I'll get etc. Anyway, but the the reason GSK comes to mind or Halion is they've got deep pockets, but they've also got deep links into the rest of the digital health ecosystem. So they're much they have the ability to leverage much more than perhaps Colgate might be able to do beyond the dental. No, I get it. We we did some work with GSK actually back in before they split actually, like and a lot of the team that they were working with actually some of them got made redundant and everything yeah. like this, and and it was a bit. Yeah, maybe in the future they'll be more a bit more organized. But at that point, I think they were just organization just splitting off and organizing the different things. But but yeah, this is a, a long term long term game, and there's like a lot, lots of different things kind of going on. But listen, Sam, wonderful, well, great catching up. Well, look, have a great day. See yeah. you soon. All, all the best. Take care. See you. Bye. Thanks for joining us, and connect with us at www.gobeyondtheclinic.com.